Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the second installment in my Die Hard movie review series. Today I am reviewing Die Hard 2. This is your co-host, Corvin. And like I said last time, I'm a complete newbie from here on out. I did see the first film with my cousin many, many years ago. These films I have never seen, save for some tiny, tiny bits and pieces of the fourth Die Hard film. It'll still be all new to me because my cousin showed me about maybe 10 minutes in total on his laptop when that movie came out on DVD, but I honestly don't remember a thing. So I'm coming to the franchise brand new. But before we get too far into the podcast, no matter where you're listening, go ahead and leave us five stars. And even a short written review helps. That is a great free way to help out the podcast. If you haven't clicked subscribe already, go ahead and do that. And if you're not looking at the podcast notes below, the description below, you're really missing out. There's timestamps if you're ready to just jump straight into the movie or even my rating and recommendations can jump straight to that as well there's all kinds of great links down there Um, there's tons of great stuff down there there's a curated list of episodes to listen to after this so don't miss out on that so i had not seen the trailer for this film i don't know if i recall seeing any of the trailers for two and three probably i don't remember the trailer for four but i do remember seeing the trailer for five Would the trailer get me into theaters, though? So coming off of how much I loved the first film, if you haven't heard my full thoughts on that, that's going to be the first link below. Um, Well, the first link will actually be your guide to Die Hard 2. So if you have not heard your guide to Die Hard 2, that'll give you the background on the making of the film, box office, reception, all of that great stuff. That's your first link. But then the second link will be the Die Hard review. But this trailer is super fun. Tons of action. It looks really intense. It really looks like this is the next Rambo franchise where Rambo had come to a conclusion already with Rambo 3. Um, The same year Die Hard 1 came out, I believe. So nevertheless, yeah, this trailer is awesome. I'm there opening weekend. I would be very enthused to see Die Hard 2. Well, listeners, if you don't want Die Hard 2 spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause right now on the podcast. Go ahead and check out the film. Depending on when you're listening to this, it is either on a streaming platform for free, maybe, or a paid subscription. I know as of the time of this recording, it it just got off of Peacock for free, so you'd have to rent this. But Die Hard 1, 3, 4, and 5 are all on streaming platforms with subscriptions you can check out for your free trial. But this one, I did have to rent it. But nevertheless, if you don't want to spoil it for you, click pause right now. Go watch the film, come back and click play, and we're ready to talk about it. So my 30-second plot, that's something new I'm going to introduce. I don't want to get rid of the plot altogether, but I'm going to keep it short and sweet. On Christmas Eve, John McClane is waiting for his wife at an airport. U.S. traders hijack the runway so planes can't land, meaning his wife is in danger. McLean does very little, but what he does do is that this is an ensemble action film, apparently. 
Not much happens. He nearly stops terrorists after they save their drug lord friend. That's their whole plot. He also stops them again, almost. The military comes in, but surprise, they're traitors too. McLean jumps on a plane Fast and Furious 6 style and gets kicked off, but not before ripping open their fuel cap and blowing up the plane. Oh yeah, his wife lands safely and they live happily ever after. Until Die Hard 3, that is. So as you could tell, it is Christmas time again. I didn't realize this, but according to the trailers, this is Christmas Eve. This time the film takes place in Washington, D.C. So um, we'd learn that John McClane is now living in Los Angeles as a cop. We get um, Reginald Val Johnson back for a brief cameo. Glad to see him again. But nevertheless, this movie is going to somewhat take place with the same formula of the first film, but this time taking place mostly in an airport and the surrounding tarmacs. So this movie does contain some humor. Um, it is funny how much this film talks about technology. They explicitly call it out talking about microchips and tasers and radio signals and all of these things. They talk about it quite a bit. Um, the lady in the plane brings out her taser Pretty shocked, honestly. You could bring a taser on a plane even in 1990. That still seems sh shocking. It seems like you're asking for trouble there. Um, and we do get to see a Mel Gibson and Danny Glover poster from a Lethal Weapon movie. So I thought that was funny. They were referencing that. Um, of course, they're setting up the taser in the opening act. How does it play out, play out later? Well, the wife just uses the taser to tase the nosy reporter who reprises his role from the first film, so it wasn't really anything that great. They also use a fax machine later on. I believe McLean himself says, wake up and smell the 90s. So they're really calling out the period in this film, really tapping into technology, helping them, you know, figure things out and save the day, which does lead to how disconnected all of these storylines are. There's tons of different storylines in this movie far far too many storylines to really make a coherent film but nevertheless they're using these technologies to kind of make the world a smaller place which is something they may not have they weren't thinking about in the first diehard film it really wasn't about that it was about this giant building and then making it all feel kind of closely connected how they're just missing each other or bumping into each other throughout it um, much better setting in the first film. But there is another good mystery set up here. There's a South American drug lord coming to the airport. Um, there is some creepy naked guy with his like clone looking people. They look kind of Russian to me. And they go to a this poor church caretaker. They murder him and they set up their base of operations at this church to hijack the airport. So in the beginning, this is all strange and interesting to me. As the movie goes on, it kind of falls apart, but nevertheless, we'll go with it for now as an intriguing setup. This film does kick into action 13 minutes into the movie, very quickly, um, very minimal setup, and they really wanted to catch the audience's attention right away. Um, Fred Thompson stars in this movie. I always enjoy seeing him. I always like his characters. Uh, this is a unique idea overall, the concept of darkening the airport during the winter at night so all of these planes can't land, they could crash and die, or you let this general drug lord land free and escape. It does make it higher stakes because his wife is on one of those planes. 
I never quite feel the tension though that her plane is going to crash and I know she's going to make it in the end or else what kind of an ending would that be? That's just not this franchise. But nevertheless, somewhat of a unique idea how these planes need light and the airport is pretty much helpless to the whims of these terrorists. And of course, McLean himself calls it out. How can this happen to the same guy twice? They played that in the trailer as well. I'm glad they're being self-aware of that, and I think that's pretty funny. There is a crazy amount of foul language in this movie, especially for a film in 1990. Now, I know, so Scarface had already come out by this point, and that movie had a ton more f-words than this one it is shocking how gratuitous the language in this movie is much more than the original film it really feels like they were trying harder to see how much they could push the envelope with how much language these characters are constantly yelling and spewing at each other um there's one character in general that really does it more than most the action scenes in this movie i know are controversial today anyways Back then, these action scenes are very early 80s, uh, early 90s, I should say, or just 80s in general. This is just how action was filmed and how sound effects were produced. They were bad. Um, these action scenes aren't great. They're not very tense, unlike the first film. Um, it just comes across as fake, how these people are flailing around and falling backwards in slow motion. I, I'm disappointed about that. But I will say my main disappointment with this film is all three parties are two separate. You have McLean, his wife, and the bad guy. Their proximity together in the last film provided strong tension, whereas I'm really struggling to feel the tension in this one because they have moments where they cross over, but it's just really not there. Um, and ultimately, I'm an hour into this movie, and I'm not really feeling it this time. So I am disappointed how... I think this movie had a promising start, but really couldn't figure out its footing. One of the major problems with that is a lot of the focus is off McLean in this movie. And I thought Stuart made a good point in now playing's review of this is McLean really isn't the main hero of this. What captivated our attention was how resourceful he had to be in the first one. This has become more of an ensemble film. There are a lot more characters, far too many characters in this movie, and they do have their own strengths and weaknesses for the most part. Some of them just feel either perfunctory or, or excessive. They're not really necessary, but unfortunately, McLean doesn't do a whole lot, except he's brave. He's highly aware. He's been in a similar situation you know, within the past two years, so he knows kind of what to do, what to look for, and of course, he's just super brave, uh, crazy brave. But nevertheless, he's just not the smart guy figuring things out. They do try and recreate the rooftop jump from the first film to pretty poor effect. I talked about this in your guide to Die Hard 2. He ejects himself from a plane. It looks bad and it's not exciting whatsoever just watching him eject himself and then he just parachutes down. I even found the finale of this to be lackluster as well, where they're fighting on the wing of a plane. At first, it is pretty cool to see McLean jump down. They fight on this big 747 wing. After a while, it drags on for too long. It's really lacking a lot of that tension that we would see, or, or at least very much thrills and excitement that we would, I would argue we would see in Fast and Furious 6 later on, even though that goes on for a ridiculous amount of time. Kind of jumping back to what I was talking about with how many characters, this is just bad. 
The opening act is too confusing. There are too many character introductions, too much happening without explanations. Um, I, honestly, I didn't even know who um, some of these characters really were, how they fit in um, in the beginning. You've got Grant and Stuart and Esperanza. Stuart's character, Stuart is the main bad guy. He's not set up pretty much at all. You get to see him. You get to see a clip of him. I didn't figure out he was a turncoat general until later on into the film, um, and his motivations for wanting to free Esperanza and abscond with him are pretty much non-existent. Uh, it's frustrating. There's also way too much Czech jargon. It's overdone. It's annoying. It's all over the place. They're really trying too hard to be smart in this movie, but they're not. Um, McLean crying in the snow is probably the worst scene in the film. Bruce Willis can't pull off crying emotions pretty much at all. I started laughing. It's a it's supposed to be a heartbreaking scene, but when McLean starts crying over it, I start laughing over it. It is so bad. And of course, the airport is run by incompetence. Um, Fred Hampton's character, Trudeau, and the police force are all a bunch of dummies. They call in the government after the plane crashes and the terrorists hijack stuff it's frustrating how you know poorly they try and handle all of this there's pretty much no procedures um and of course living in a post 9-11 world it's just baffling how you know how unprepared they were for all of this stuff so there is a big twist at the end of this movie that um grant is actually a turncoat as well and of course they just so happen to radio him or call him in, him and his people. They're all traitors except for one guy. This leads to a lot of confusion in the end of the movie until you learn he's a turncoat because the military essentially does nothing. They're there pretending to do stuff. They hang back. And of course, this movie could be over with so fast if they were actually good and came into the rescue. So it's leaving me with a lot of questions like, why aren't they helping McLean out? Well, it's because they're bad. Speaking of bad, some of the one-liners in this are atrocious. Uh, when McLean lands and his parachute covers him up, he says, where's the effing door? And um, the janitor friend that he makes that he keeps going back to like it's some hub in a video game for him to get upgrades. Um, he fist pumps the air and says, just like Iwo Jima. The writing in this is incredibly disappointing. The first film's writing was Pretty solid, pretty entertaining. This is some cheap one-liners and a very poor script. A couple of the few things that did frustrate me towards the end of the film is only one character is figuring out things, or at least trying to figure out things. And that is Art Evans. He plays the character Barnes. He's the only one that has any sort of brains. He's the only one that's smart. He does ultimately figure out where the terrorists are at. They know these terrorists have to be close by and they don't send out search parties at all trying to look for them until the very end of the film. This is complete nonsense. Um, so like I said, the ending of this just kind of falls apart. It really doesn't, you know, isn't interesting. A lot of, there's like tons of plot holes and a lot of the logic is just thrown out the window, which just makes more so for a frustrating experience instead of just kicking back, relaxing, watching and fun action movie they write themselves into a lot of corners with these you know plot contrivances or just nonsense plot pieces ultimately i'm trying to be critical here because that's the point of 
you know, reviewing a movie is you have to ask these questions, whether this makes sense or not. And with some movies, you can just watch it and forgive them of those things. But after a while, if there's too many, then that ultimately becomes lazy writing. And you really can't excuse lazy writing, which is where this film goes. Die Hard 2 is a cliche action sequel, offering road action, a bloated plot, and some terrible acting and one-liners. I'm majorly disappointed with this film. My expectations were decently high considering the acclaim this film had received and maintained. The main misstep of this movie is tension. The first film you felt like you were the lone wolf running around the building fighting bad guys. This time it's more like a video game. You go on different missions while your ultimate mission hangs in the background, knowing you'll accomplish it eventually, but there's never a strong sense of urgency or constant adrenaline. It's pretty obvious everyone dropped the ball on this one, including Willis. I hope for the third installment they can course correct because Die Hard 2 is a major fumble. The film receives four stars out of ten, with a solid not recommend. So when I pick up or pass on this one, it's a pretty obvious pass. Um, unless the five film set was uh, really cheap, then I'd probably just pick all five of them up. But this one, I would not go out of my way to get this one. I would probably never watch it again. So other film and TV recommendations I have, um, Total Recall. That came out in 1990. I mentioned that in your guide to Die Hard 2. That is a much better film than this one. I don't think it's great. I need to revisit it. I just got it on 4K recently. But it's it was better than this by far. I'm also going to be recommending the Liam Neeson film Nonstop. That is how you make an action film involving an airplane. Um, I, I think they really could have done a lot with Die Hard 2 if they would have opened up the airport and brought the terrorists to the airport. And unfortunately, setting the terrorists up at the church was a completely terrible idea. Um, they should have taken over the control tower and McLean should have had to fight his way to the control tower. And that's where it all should have came to a head. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, the church idea was absolutely terrible, but nevertheless, my final recommendation is Red Eye. That is another great airplane thriller film from Wes, Wes Craven. I think a lot of people have forgotten about that movie or didn't see it when it first came out. You've got to check out Red Eye. So it took four years and ten and a half months until Die Hard 3 came out with John McTiernan returning. That gives me hope, not to mention it is more highly rated than the second film. I'm going to try to not get my hopes up because I was pretty disappointed with this one. And even Die Hard 4, Live Free or Die Hard, has even a higher score than 2 or 3. So... I don't know what was going on with some of these reviewers. I'm trying to temper my expectations now that I know I'm not really lining up with some of this stuff, but it was pretty obvious it took about five years to get Die Hard back onto the big screens, even though this film did gangbusters at the box office and it did test very well with critics and audiences. Die Hard 3, you know, people wanted to move on with their lives. Bruce Willis was becoming a big star. Um, there was just other things going on, but eventually he did return it to the franchise. So I'm curious to see how well Die Hard 3 holds up. Well, listeners, the question after the show is, is Die Hard 2 a disappointment? Clearly, you know my thoughts, but I'm curious to know yours. 
um, email me at silverscreenguide95 at gmail.com so we can talk about it and we can talk about your questions on the next show. So you're not going to miss that out. The question and the email is linked below so you can email me from there. Of course, you can tweet at me. You can comment on Facebook or the website as well. Well, listeners, thank you for coming along with me as I have reviewed Die Hard 2. Next week, we are going to be reviewing Alan's birthday pick, Waves. So I'm excited to review that with him. I revisit that film. He did show me a couple years ago, the movie. So excited to see that. We have reviewed um, the first film from that same director, um, Grisha. That was Alan's birthday pick a year or two ago. I can't remember at this point. But we have reviewed Grisha, so go check out Grisha. I'll link that below as well um, in anticipation for Alan's birthday pick next week. So thanks for coming along with me, listeners. If you haven't clicked subscribe yet, make sure to subscribe. Share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.